Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 10? You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to close out our little mini-series on things that must end so that our destiny can begin. We've reminded ourselves repetitively of Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Look at the person next to you say, God's got a plan for my life. We learned that God had a purpose for David's life, Acts 13, 36, for when David had served God's purpose in his generation. Everybody say, I have a purpose. You and I are not people who live by accident. God has a purpose for you. There are things that you can do in this earth better than anybody else. There are assignments that God has for you that you are to accomplish in this life. Now, we said there are often times, however, that there are things that interfere with those purposes. And part of it is the old hay, Proverbs 27, 25, that needs to be removed. And we've studied that in detail. So we've begun to study these things that need to leave our lives. We learned that play acting, branding ourselves, filters in our life, the, the, these things, that, though they're very much a part of modern society and modern pop culture, the, these things only hinder the destiny that God has for us. That we must embrace sincerity and being who we are if we are ever going to achieve our destiny. I keep bringing you back to David and Goliath. If David had tried to play act like a king and put on the king's armor and carry the king's sword, he, he would have never killed Goliath. He, he would have died that day trying to, to brand himself. He would have died that day in his play acting or his hypocrisis as we studied in detail. But instead, David was secure enough in who he was and he liked himself as who he was. He said, you know what? One day I might be a king, but right now I'm a shepherd boy and I will be successful by being who I am right now. Everybody say, be who I am right now. Now, now, some of you sitting here, one day you may be the next Henry C's, you may be the next Ayala's, you may be the next Bill Gates, I mean, you may be the next Stephen Jobs, you, you may be the next greatest people in the world, you may be the next Billy Graham. I mean, there, there is no limit on the destiny that God has for you. But the world will tell you to pretend like who you're becoming, and that's how you become that. And God would tell you, no, be sincere, be who you are, be who you are right now while you are becoming who God wants you to be. Everybody say, be myself. Then we went on from there to learn from the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18, that we have been redeemed from the empty way of life that has been handed down to us by our forefathers. That we are not a people that just pick up the existence of the generations before us. Like David, like Moses, like the apostles, we choose to be different than the generations before us. And we move toward the destiny and the purpose God has for our life. Then we talked about removing the old corrupting influences of friendship that embrace our life. And we choose to walk with the wise and grow wise and not be the companion of a fool and suffer harm. And then we went on to there, begin to talk about leaving old sins behind us. Everybody say, my old sins. We, we said that there are sins that become such a part of our life that they're almost like a pet. They're like a pet dog in our life. They're, it's just a part of life and it's become such a, a part of who we are that we don't even feel convicted by it anymore. Paul would say it this way, that whatever yourself you yield yourself to as a slave, to that you become a slave. It, it just becomes a controlling part of our life. And what we don't realize is that as we're reaching toward the goals that God has for us, that sin is tripping us up and that sin is holding us down. So sometimes we just need to ask the Holy Spirit, would you show me? 
Holy Spirit, would you show me the things in my life that are holding me back from the destiny that you have, the, the attitudes, the lifestyle things, the stuff in my life that's holding me back from reaching that goal that you have for me. And then we closed out with learning the fact that, you know, sometimes we have to put behind us and leave in the past this super spiritualistic concept of a life of peace if we're going to achieve our destiny. Jesus told the apostles, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. You will only achieve your destiny if you are willing to run to the battle. Every generation has Goliaths that they have to fight. Everybody say, every generation has their own Goliaths. Now, if you run from the battle, you're going to be like everybody else that nobody ever remembered. But if you run to the battle, that unique person that runs to the battle, that, that's not afraid of conflict, that's not afraid of loss, that's not afraid of failure, if you will be that unique person that will run to the battle, then like David, people will still be talking about you thousands of years later as a person who changed the world. Now, last night, we focused on leaving behind the shame of our failure to embrace our destiny. We learned that everybody fails. Look at the person next to you and say, everybody fails. Now, now, we're not talking about sin now. We're just talking about failure. Everybody say, everybody fails. Say it again, please. Say it again, please. I remember when I first went to Bible school, I've been like a 1.0 student in my university. Full scholarship started as, I didn't even do my freshman year. I started as a sophomore in university because of my exams and stuff. But I can remember going to Bible college and my very first semester in Bible college, we had a course in missions with Dr. Delanor Gwines. And it was the first time I can remember a C in my whole life. The first exam I had a C, I said, how do you get a C? This is a basket weaving course. How did I, I can remember just sitting down saying, God, I must be out of your will. God, I, I must be completely out of your will. I've never had a C in my life. I don't even know what a C is. I mean, I used to, I mean, please, I was you know, double major computers and, and finance and, and, and accounting and, I, I mean, top of my class. And I got a C in a basket weaving course, my first class in, in Bible school. I thought, I must be out of the will of God. This, not, this must not be God's will. I mean, how do you get a C in a basket weave? Now, I found up with a good grade in the class when it finished, but I never had a multiple guess test in my whole life. Everybody say multiple guess. You know where you stick your, you stick your thing through this, this answer chart. I've never taken a multiple guess test. I thought this is the stupidest test I ever saw in my life. It's multiple guess. I was used to four-hour business law exams. A C. I can remember calling my grandfather saying, Grandpa, I must be out of the will of God. He said, what? I said, Grandpa, I'm failing this class. He said, what was your grade, Davey? I said, a C. He said, that's not failing. I said, Grandpa, for me, a C is failing. I've never had one. Now, now brothers and sisters, everybody fails. It knocks you upside the head. It's like somebody sticking their foot in your gut. You feel like you lose all of, you lose all of your self-confidence. You lose all of your self-esteem. You feel, all, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Put your hand up high. Now, we've all failed. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. The apostles failed. 
And I taught you last night how Jesus restored their confidence by using those same abilities to serve and then turned it around and gave them great success. So we talked about putting the shame of failure behind. Now there's one more bad habit I want to deal with in this series. Everybody say, a really bad habit. Say it again. And as we get down to the end, you'll understand how destructive this bad habit is. But it's going to take me a while to get there because we want to define it first. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 22, English Standard Version. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Who, who is faithful? Who is faithful? And let us stir up, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now notice four things Paul teaches us we do together. Everybody say, we do this together. Say it again. See, Christianity is not a cowboy thing. Christianity is not a lone ranger thing. Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is a what? I, I didn't hear you. It's like a guy walked up to me one day and said, you know, I love Jesus, I just hate church. I said, well, you're going to go to hell one day then. He looked at me and I said, now do I have your attention? He said, yeah. I said, listen, you've got to understand, Christianity is not for lone rangers. Christianity is not for cowboys. Christianity is not golf. Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is a what? Now listen to what Paul says in verse 22. Let us, let who? Let us draw near with a true heart. You draw near to God as a team sport. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Let us, everybody say us. That's a team thing. We do this together. We, we hold on to the hope. We hold on to our, our confession of faith together. Let us consider how to spur one another toward love and good deeds. We, this is a team thing. We're, we're helping each other do good deeds. We're helping each other stir up each other to love. Not neglecting to meet together. Everybody say, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. There are Christians that have a bad habit that destroys their futures. And that bad habit is neglecting church. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Everybody say, the bad habit of neglecting church. Now let's begin to walk our way through this. And we'll walk through it slowly. I want us to remember together that this is a habit that has to be dropped to achieve our destiny. The early church, what were their habits? Everybody say, the habits. What were the habits of early Christians? Well, what was the habit of Jesus? Luke chapter 2, verse 49, 
He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Where did Jesus have to be? Where did Jesus have to be? Father's house. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Everybody said, as was his custom. So every Shabbat, Jesus went to services. Jesus went to the meeting. Jesus went to the what? And synagogue here literally means assembly. Everybody say assembly. Now, we, we always tie it to a building, but synagogue means assembly, just like church means a gathering of people. It's an assembly. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus looked at his apostles and said, you know what? Where two or three gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So he not only was a person who was regular in religious services, he encouraged his apostles, now listen, guys, if you gather together in my name, I'm there with you. Everybody say, an encouragement to gather. Jesus started the first Sunday church service, John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, everybody say, Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So the very first Sunday meeting, the very first Sunday assembly, the very first meeting on the Lord's Day, which is our Christian practice, was started by Jesus. Now, the day of Pentecost did not occur because everybody was being a lone ranger. The day of Pentecost was a team sport. Acts 1, beginning with verse 14, all these were in one accord and devoting themselves together in prayer with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in about, about 120. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Everybody say, meeting together. Now, it's fascinating that there's over 500 people that gathered to watch the ascension of Jesus. But only 120 experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You see, there are experiences you're not going to have out being separate from the rest of God's people. There are things that we experience together. Everybody say, together experiences. Now, now, these guys that were too busy doing other things, these, these guys that were off being lone rangers, these guys that were off, you know, doing their own thing, and you know what, I, I'm an isolationist. These, these guys, they did not have the encounter of the day of Pentecost. These guys missed an incredible spiritual encounter. There are some experiences that as a church we have together that you miss if you refuse that gathering and that meeting together. The church in Jerusalem was devoted to meeting together. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Acts 4, verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Acts 5.12, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Acts 6, verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. They summoned the full number of the disciples. Now, I want you to notice, these were things that were done 
together. Everybody say, a meeting. Say it again. Now, those are the Jewish Christians. What about the Gentile Christians? Well, the church at Antioch, 11 verse 26 of Acts. He brought to him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church. Everybody say, met with the church. Acts 14, 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together. Acts 15, verse 30, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Now, that's Antioch. How about Corinth? 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, Acts 14, 46, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and interpretations. Let all things be done for building up. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, when you come together, everybody say come together. Say it louder. Ephesians 5, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, addressing one another. Everybody say, that's together. That's what? The church of Troas, Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, again, that's Sunday, when they were gathered together, when they were what? Now, we have to understand that, that this is how the early church functioned. They gathered together. They did what? Now, some of you may be noticing that we've changed Facebook, and we've told everybody we're going off Facebook Live. Why? Because we're encouraging people to develop a bad habit. Now, we're keeping Facebook live for the shut-ins. We have a, a special website, a special Facebook closed group site set up for all of our members who are too old to get out and travel or they're sick or they're pregnant and can't move. We got everybody signed up on that and everybody's welcome to sign up. We have another closed Facebook site for all of our couple buy-in that are scattered around the world so, because we have a lot of our members that watch the services every week. But it's not going to be a general Facebook live for everybody. Sorry. I don't want to help you sin. Are we still here? I don't want to help you lose your destiny. I want you to achieve your destiny. And even in modern technology, I'm sorry, sitting at the end of a cell phone at home, laying in your bed, drinking a Diet Coke, and watching it on your cell phone is not gathering together. Are we still here? Oh, Pastor Modern Tech, excuse me. Gathering together means just that. You gather together. Everybody say, we gather together. Say it louder, please. So, yeah, I'm going to get a little ugly about this. Now, you know me, I love technology. Facebook Live, I thought, oh, this is great. We can reach more people. But what it did was it created a group of lazy, convenient-oriented people who didn't want to get their butt out of bed on Sunday and get to God's house. They saw it didn't mean anything. Now, brothers and sisters, please, we need, if you want the promises of the Word of God, you have to live how the Word of God says live. I didn't hear you. Now, in the New Testament, a bad habit developed. Toward the end of the apostolic era, someplace mid-60s to late-60s A.D., 
a bad habit began to develop among the Christians. Now, the churches were about 30 years old, 35 years old at this point. You're moving into the second generation of Christianity. Second generation Christians are coming along. New churches are still being grown, yes, but we're, we're dealing with a lot of second generation Christians. And Paul said, now listen, let, let's stop this neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now let me take these words one by one. The Greek word for neglect means to be convinced that something is worthless and should be deserted or dropped. To be convinced that something is worthless and should be deserted, dropped, or cast away. The Greek word for habit, ethos, literally means a tradition, a practice, a, a customary way of doing things. Now, the Greek word for meeting is a fascinating word. It's not just the Greek word synagogue. Synagogue simply means an assembly, a meeting. The Greek word that is used here adds a prefix to it, epi-synagogue. Everybody say E-P-I. It has the prefix epi-synagogue. Now, epi means something that has been added to. Everybody say, something added to or added on. Now, epi-synagogue could literally be translated at an assembly that God added to your life. Everybody say, an assembly that God added to my life. To put it in modern terms, this is a meeting that God added to your schedule. Everybody say, this is a meeting, this is a meeting that God added to my schedule. So literally what Paul is saying here is that near the end of the first generation of Christianity, the end of the apostolic era, Christians had gotten into an attitude that this additional meeting that God had added to their life was not necessary. Let me say that again. Christians had gotten into the attitude. They'd made a habit of thinking that this additional meeting, this additional gathering together that God had added to their life was not necessary. It's amazing to me how many Christians today think that church is not necessary, think that the assembly is not necessary, think that gathering together with the body is not necessary. Now, what the modern church tries to do is, is make it so that people want to come. Now, God never made it so you want to come. God just assigned it to you as necessary. Everybody say, assigned it as necessary. Now, the modern religious movement tries to make it appealing with secular entertainment trying to do things that please people, trying to make it relational. But God never did that. God never sat down and said, let, let me figure out how to make people want this. God just assigned this to our lives. Everybody say, assigned to my life. Now, there are things that all of us do every day that it's not the most fun thing, but we do it. How many of you brush your teeth every day? Is it something that you just get up in the morning and go, oh, goody, 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 I get to brush my teeth. Hey, this is fun. Hey. No. 
but it is a discipline that you do so that you can talk to people and they don't pass out. We don't get up every morning and go, oh, gee, I get to take a bath. But you take a bath every day because you would like to talk to people and people not pass out from the smell. There are things that we do that are necessary in life. That are what? Necessary. You know, a young man came to me one day and he said, Pastor Summerall, he'd just gotten married. Now, you remember, I always change my stories, Kaya. I don't violate anybody's confidence. But a young man came and said, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I said, why? He said, you know, I just got married. I said, yeah. He said, you know, she, I have to talk to her every day. I said, well, yeah. He said, Pastor, sometimes I just don't want to talk to her. I said, well, it's kind of late to think of that now. You're married. He said, well, you know, Pastor, I grew up in a family where we didn't talk much. He said, I don't want to talk. I said, but you married a girl who loves to talk. She comes from a family where people love to socialize. I said, you might have been raised a hermit. She was raised as a social butterfly. I said, you know what? Happy wife, happy life. You better learn some communication skills and learn to talk. And all the ladies said, I said, you know, there are things that you, you have to do now. You're a married man. You have to talk to your wife. When you have children, you have to talk to your children. You have to spend time with your kids. Is that right? Is that right? Is that right? Is that right? When you got born again, God added a meeting to your life. Everybody say, God added a meeting to my life. We gather together with the church every Lord's Day. Everybody say once a week. Say it again. Now, there's beautiful promises. Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. There's a promise that when we gather together, we may not be able to see him, but Jesus is here. That's why people get healed. That's why people's lives get changed. That's why people all of a sudden understand what they're supposed to do and receive guidance. Jesus walks among us. We, we can't see what he's doing, but we know he's working. How many of you have been in a service and God touched and changed your life? Would you raise your hand up high? Why did that? Would that have happened if you were at home? No. Just like on the day of Pentecost, there were things they experienced because they were in the meeting that Jesus had added to their life. Everybody say, in the meeting. A young man came to me. He said, Pastor Summer, I just got hired at this new job. And I said, congratulations. He said, oh, yes, it's a big promotion. But, Pastor, there's this meeting I have to go to, and I hate it. Well, I said, do you like the promotion? Yeah. Do you like the paycheck? Yeah. Go to the meeting. How many of you like being a Christian? Put your hand up high. You like the idea of going to heaven? Put your hand up high. You like having a relationship with Jesus? Put your hand up high. You've got a meeting you need to be in once a week. Amen. Jesus has a... I'm making this dirt simple for you. Episynagogue, a meeting that has been added on your life. Don't look down and cast away as unnecessary a meeting that Jesus has added to your life. Don't make that a habit. Don't make that a what? Say it again, please. Now, David had a great desire for the house of God. Psalms 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What a funny guy. David wanted to live in church. Everybody say, live in church. And it's funny, when you study prophecy during the millennium, do you know where David spends his days? In the temple. David's going to get to spend eternity as the primary worship leader in the temple of God during the millennium. That was his heart. David loved the meeting. David loved what? Say it again. I remember Sister Bev and I, we had some young men living with us. And they looked at us one day and they said, you sure go to church a lot. I said, yeah, we like church. Well, I don't, I like church, but I don't like church as much as you do. I said, you got a problem because you're living in the house of somebody who loves church. How many of you love church? Would you raise your hand? This, this is not a problem for us to attend the meeting that Jesus has added to our lives. We're, we're like David. We, we love it. Psalms 84, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. <laughs> Remember, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them, Jesus said. David says, Psalms 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. And do what? Appear before God. Remember where he says in Revelation 1, verse 12 and 13, that he walks among the lampstands, the lampstands being the local church. He, he said, I, I'm there with you. David said, when, when can I come and appear before God? You see, when, when you and I come to church, we, we don't come because we're looking forward to seeing our friends. We're not coming to sell a Vita. We're not looking at the church members as our, our target market to sell insurance to or, or retirement package or a, an educational plan to. We come to church to be with God. Amen. I, I didn't hear you. Jesus never said where two or three are gathered together in my name, you're going to have fun and be entertained. He said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, forgive me, when you come and we gather together, and literally what Peter says, when we become the, the New Testament holy of holies where God comes down and speaks with us and moves among us, if you're here to meet with God, God will meet with you. Amen. If you're here to meet with your friends, you're going to have a good time with your friends. Me? I'd rather meet with God. Amen. I, I, I didn't hear you. Amen. Everybody said, I came to be with Jesus. Say it again. Now, again, if you come to be entertained, then, you know, please, you better go someplace else because I can't tell jokes, and I don't know how to entertain anybody. I feel sorry. When Shasha gets married, I feel so sorry for Sister Bev because I am the most boring human being in the universe, okay? I just, forget it. You've heard me try to tell jokes. It's pathetic. I don't know how to entertain. I don't know how to be charismatic. But I know Jesus. If you come to be entertained by a bald-headed preacher, please, I can't do it. But if you come to the meeting that Jesus has added to your life because he promised you, I will be there. Because he promised, I will walk with you. Because he promised, I will be there in the midst of you. If you came to be with Jesus, whenever you come to God's house, whenever you gather together in the meeting, your life will be changed. Because you've come looking for the right person. 
You've come looking for Jesus. Now, with all of that in mind, two other thoughts. In God's house, there should be joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, in your presence there is fullness of? There's fullness of what? Worship is to be joyful. Psalms, 20, Psalms 42, verse 4. In the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. I don't want songs in God's house that are secular. I want psalms and hymns and spiritual songs when we gather together like the Apostle Paul said. And everybody said? But neither do I want, Oh God, I'm lonely. Oh God, I'm sad. Oh God, my dog died. Oh God, my hair fell out. You know, I don't want to hear songs of lament in God's house. Some Christians, when they sing, you wonder, are they living in sin? There is no joy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're, oh, dude, are you constipated? I mean, grabby, I just, where's the joy? If we came to be with him, he's here. In his presence, there is fullness of? Yeah, God's house is a wonderful, fun place to be, but, but not fun from entertainment. Joy from the presence. Now you say, well, pastor, what does this have to do as a bad habit that destroys my destiny? Psalm 65, verse 4. I'm sorry, Psalms 92, verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. Where does your life flourish? Where does your life flourish? In God's house. I don't know how to explain this to you, but when you do not neglect the meeting that Jesus added to your life, there is something spiritual that happens as we gather together with his presence among us that brings blessing upon your life. You flourish. You do what? You don't wither and die in God's house. You flourish in God's house. You don't shrivel up and dry up in God's house. You flourish in God's house. Now here's one of the key verses, and people always misquote it. Genesis 24, I'm sorry, Genesis 22, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of God Jehovah Jireh. Is that what it says? So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Mount Moriah became Temple Mount, the place of assembly. The place of our assembly is here. We gather together. How many of you are part of COP? Would you raise your hands? There is something that happens. I don't, I don't understand it. But it is in the assembly where we gather together, in our Jehovah Jireh, in, in the place where we meet with God.
in the place where we meet with God, God said it will be provided. Now, I've watched many people for the last 39 years as your pastor. I've watched many people go through financial hardships. I've watched some people live in them and never get out. And i watched some people bounce back and get out. And do you know who gets out and who does not? The people who get a bad attitude and pull away. And they develop the habit of looking on this additional meeting as a burden. Oh, God, it costs money to go to church. It's a burden. But people who get in church even more often. I looked at one family one day, and I said, every time we have a service, you're here. And this is when we were doing services like six nights a week. They said, yes, pastor, we have trouble. And I said, well, this is the place to be then. Within about four months, everything just turned around for them. On the mountain of the Lord, in their Jehovah Jireh, it is provided. This is your Jehovah Jireh. You need to be in the gathering. Now, as we move into this next year, this is a calendar item. This is a what? Everybody say a calendar item. Do you believe that Jesus has saved you? How many of you believe Jesus saved you? Okay. Then you need to be in the meeting that Jesus added Episynagogue, the additional, the added on meeting. You need to be in the meeting that Jesus added to your life every week. The gathering together is not uh, if you want to. The gathering together is something that has been added on to your life. This is who we are. Every Lord's Day, we gather together in Jesus' name. You say, well, pastor, we're in church on Saturday night. Yeah, if you looked at the Jewish calendar, we're actually in church on the first day of the week because it's already started that. They do their days differently, but that, I'm going to confuse the thought. Everybody say, be in God's house at least once a week. Now, we have worked hard to put together lots of services. We have worked hard to build the other campuses where we can gather together. We've made it as easy as we can make it. But, you know, at some point, you have to decide... This is something Jesus has added to my life. This is an epi-synagogue. This is an added-on meeting. Everybody say, an added-on meeting. Paul said, do not make a habit of neglecting. Consider it something that doesn't, isn't necessary in life and can be walked away from. He said, don't, don't neglect the added-on meeting, the epi-synagogue God has placed in your life. Did you learn something tonight? Look at the person next to you and say, I will be in church every week. When you travel, should you be in church? Yeah, you find a church someplace. I mean, you know, please, I, I can remember one time visiting my mama. And I went to one church, and it was over in an hour, and there wasn't much of a sermon. Like, it was like a 13-minute sermon. I thought... This must be, because I know some of these churches in the West, they do this intermission in the middle of the service. So I thought, okay, I'll just sit here and wait for the rest of the service. But the service was already over. 55 minutes, tapos na. And I was confused, so I sat through the second one. And it was the same. I thought, grave, this is really a 55-minute sermon. But I thought, you know, it's God's house, so I need to be there. But, you know, I want more sermon. So I went to another church up the street. I found another church driving back to the hotel where I was staying. And went to that church service. And it was... 
57 minutes. Finally, I found a Baptist church. And went to the, now, they're not Holy Ghost. They don't speak in tongues. But the man preached a great sermon. I went, yeah, I got my soul fed. I went to church four services that day. I'm on vacation. I went to four church services. Now, I'm not sure the first three counted because they weren't very long, okay? So maybe that can all go together as one. So I went to church at least twice that day. Never skip the episynagogue, the added-on meeting. Whatever you're doing, you need to be in God's house. Everybody shout, I need to gather together. Did you learn something today? Would you stand with me, please? Now, don't get mad at me because I took away Facebook Live. But Facebook Live is not a place. The meeting that God added to your life is Jehovah Jireh. Everybody say, our gathering place where God walks among us. But probably the most important thing I said to you is why do you come? If you're here to sell insurance, please leave. If you're here to just see your friends, why bother? I mean, if you want to go see your friends, go someplace where you can talk. It's kind of hard to talk when this preacher's up here all day, okay? You gather here to meet with Jesus. You gather here, you want to be healed. You need wisdom. You need guidance. You need God to solve the confusion of your mind. You need Jesus to encourage you. You need Jesus to show you what... You're here to be with Jesus. Every time you gather, you should walk in the door with an agenda. Everybody say, I have an agenda. You say, what do you mean by agenda, Pastor? Something you want to talk to Jesus about. Something you need from Jesus. Every time you walk into church, Jesus... We need to talk about something. Come a little early, hang out with Jesus. Stay a little after, hang out with Jesus. But you and Jesus meet every time we come together. Now, I know this is dirt simple oversimplification, but sometimes we need to make it this way so that we understand the basics of who we are. Would you join your hands together, please? Now, I want to ask you, put it in your calendar every week, God's house. Don't just, well, you know, on Sunday, you leave Sunday blank. I I know your calendars. I look at your calendars. You leave Sunday blank. No, no, no. It's not blank. You leave Saturday night blank. eh. Fill in your calendar. I, I didn't hear you. If Saturday night is your normal service, go to your calendar and fill it in for the whole year. God's house. Meet with Jesus. Same thing with your devotions every morning. Put it on your calendar. If you don't calendar it, you don't do it. You don't calendar it. Somebody said, listen, I want to get together with you on Saturday night, oh, about 6 o'clock. Sure, sure, I'm free. You look at your calendar. Oops, I forgot. I got church. You forgot. Then you made a commitment to somebody else. And have you ever noticed you keep your commitment to the person more than you keep your commitment to God? Are we still here? Everybody say, calendar it. 
put it in your calendar. This is when I gather together with the other saints and meet with Jesus. Will you calendar it? Will you calendar it? Jesus, I recognize I'm not here to be with people. I'm here to be with you. But as we gather together, we become the new covenant holy of holies. Together we become a place where your presence is manifest. Together we become a place where you speak and we meet with you. Jesus, help me to discipline my life, to never dismiss as unnecessary this weekly meeting that you added to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Everybody say, Epi Synagogue. Literally, the added on meeting. Everybody say, the meeting added on. You have a meeting added on your life. I didn't hear you. Good night. God bless you.